All right, what's up, church family? How are we today? Good. Hey, uh, I just want to welcome uh, everyone across all of our campuses, those of you tuning in online, uh, those of you in our PM services. We're really glad that you're here, and uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday. How many of you uh, pulling for the Niners? Any Niners fans? Anywhere? All right, all right. We love you. There's grace for you. How many of you are right with God, pulling for Chiefs? All right. There we go. There we go. How many of you are like, I really don't care? Hey, there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, regardless of uh, who you're cheering for, if you care about the game, we're really glad that you're here today. And, uh, you know, um, one thing that uh, you and I have in common is that we've all done some dumb stuff. Amen. <laughs> yeah. You ever done some dumb stuff? Now I was trying to think through the list this last week, like some examples I could share. There's way too many. I only have 30 minutes to teach, but I wanted to like maybe just share like one. Like there, there was a few years ago, I, uh, the door handle on my truck had busted off. Like it wasn't all the way off. Like it was still fastened to the door, but half of it had come off. And so instead of calling a dealership, setting up an appointment like any rational person would do, I was like, I can fix that. And uh, so I got some crazy glue and put it on the, you know, the handle and held it there for about 10 minutes because it's crazy glue. It dries crazy fast. And uh, went inside, got up the next day, and there was a long line of dried super glue that had gone all the way down the door of my truck. Like it didn't matter how much I scrubbed at that, tried to buff it out. It wasn't coming out. So I just traded the truck in. That's what, that's what you do like when you make a dumb decision like that. And uh, I mean, I've just done some really dumb stuff. And, and I wish I could say that all that's just sort of like relegated to like automotive failures, but that just wouldn't be true. Like I've done dumb stuff in my marriage. I've done dumb stuff as a dad. I've done dumb stuff with my friends. I, I, I've, uh, I, I've done dumb things with, with money and finances. I've done all kinds of dumb things here at the church. And you're like, yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> We've noticed. You, you and I, we, we have some things in common, and we've just done dumb stuff, like, like stuff that we wish we could forget and stuff that we wish we could take back, stuff that we hope that nobody ever finds out about. There's like money that we'd never spent. There's, there's time we should have never invested. There's that angry text we should have never sent, the old flame that we sh- never should have uh, received the, the, the friend notification from on social media. There's the people we never intended to hurt, relationships we should have never pursued, the job we should have never taken, the contract we should have never signed, like dumb decisions that we should have never made. You ever look back on a decision or a set of decisions that you made in your life and you think to yourself, like, what was I thinking? Like, like I don't know why I, I did that. Like, I should have known better. And if you have, and we all have, welcome to the human race. That's like what it means to be human. And it would be really difficult to get through this life without making some dumb decisions. In fact, it's really difficult to get through the day. One recent study showed that we make about 35,000 decisions per day. Like little ones and big ones and medium ones. Like all the way from when am I going to get up to what am I going to wear and where am I going to go today. We just make 35,000 decisions. If that's the case, the odds are pretty high that we're not going to be batting 1,000 on them that we're going to get some of them wrong. And sometimes it's a big deal, and sometimes it's it's not. Sometimes these bad decisions only embarrass us, nothing more. Other times it feels like they can ruin us. Some of these bad decisions we can forget over time. They just fade from memory. 
But others, like, we'll never forget. In fact, right now, your, your life and my life, up to this point, is the result of your accumulated choices and decisions. Now, uh, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. For, for better and for worse. But can I just acknowledge this? That that statement right there, that's a lot of pressure. And maybe for some of us, we just need to take a deep breath. Maybe we just need to let ourselves off the, the hook. Because as a result of the weight of that statement, maybe it's left you feeling a little bit apprehensive about making a decision like of any kind. And when it comes to the choices that are in front of you, like right now today, you're afraid of moving forward for the simple reason that you don't know what to do and you don't know what to decide. And you're scared to death of making another wrong decision because the last wrong decision hurt really bad. And it set you back, and it got you kicked out, and it caused your first marriage to unravel, and your second marriage is headed that way. And it cost you your job, and it damaged your reputation, and you're no longer on speaking terms with your kids, landed you a permanent record, and maybe you've lost confidence in your ability to make a good decision. And so faced with a choice, your mind just gets flooded with all of these like what-ifs. Like, what if I choose the wrong thing? What if I go to the wrong school? What if I've chosen the wrong degree? What if I go with the wrong color? What if I choose the wrong sport, the wrong set of friends, the wrong career, the wrong exercise program? What if I pick the wrong spouse? Like, what if I mess it all up again? Because last time I was wrong and that thing just blew up in my face. And if you can relate to to any of this in, in any way, and by the way, I can relate to all of it, then I really believe that God's going to use the next four weeks to speak into your life and into my life in a profound way. Like, I really believe that. Today, we're starting a new four-week series of messages called FOBO. And uh, maybe you've heard of FOMO, uh, which is fear of missing out. And fear of missing out is really sort of Uh, become kind of more of a thing with the introduction of social media. So you might be at home on a Saturday night scrolling through social media. You see all of your friends at that hot new rooftop restaurant downtown and you're not there. You're at home on a Saturday night with your jammies with the feet in them. (laughs) FOMO, fear of missing out. We're talking about uh, FOBO, which is uh, a different thing. It's, It's fear of better options. This is the idea that we have like so many options in front of us, and we love our options, but so many options that are available to us um, through, you know, the internet and uh, because, you know, we customize everything. Too many options can cause us to feel a little bit locked down, and it leads us to this debilitating fear of making the wrong choice. And so as a result, not all of us have this problem, but many of us do. We, we overthink or we overanalyze to the point that we find it extremely difficult to choose at all. And studies are showing us that it's just leading to greater and greater worry, fear, and apprehension that will make the wrong choice. And so we sort of stay in this zone of indecision. Psychologist Barry Swartz coined the phrase paradox of, of choice to describe the consistent findings that while... Uh, We like options. Too many of them just lead to greater indecision, paralysis, and dissatisfaction. It's actually becoming a real thing. Maybe many of you have heard this phrase before, uh, paralysis by analysis. And it's a real thing. Here's the definition. 
Paralysis by analysis happens when an individual overanalyzes or overthinks a situation, causing forward motion or decision-making to become paralyzed to the point that no solution or course of action is decided upon. And so we look at that and we see all these options in front of us and we're not quite sure what to do. And that's just another way of saying we can get in our head too much. And we have these imaginary conversations And we run out these scenarios in our head over and over again, and we find it really difficult to to move ahead in that relationship, to move ahead in our career, to launch that thing, to to maybe take a risk of some kind. We feel stuck. I love how the the message paraphrases Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, which is the the wisdom literature of God's word. And it just simply encourages us with this. Uh, Trust God from the, the bottom of your heart, and don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go, because he's the one who will keep you on track. And that sounds so great, but the question that you might have as you read or listen to verses like that is you might say, well, how do we do that? Like, how do I trust God in everything that I do? Like, I don't want to try to figure out everything on my own. But how do, I, how do I trust God in everything that I do? Like I'm trying so hard right now to be just like Carrie Underwood and let Jesus take the wheel. But every time I let Jesus take the wheel, I don't like the road he turns us down. And every time I, I feel like he needs to speed up a little bit or he needs to slow down a little bit. So I start off saying, Jesus, you take the wheel. But it doesn't take long for me to say, Jesus, pull over. I'm taking the wheel. And it works for a little while until it doesn't. Then we get stuck in traffic, we turn the wrong way on our one-way road, we end up in a ditch again. So I believe in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, but what does that look like fleshed out? Like how do you do that practically? What does it look like to listen to God's voice in everything that I do? Because when I'm trying to make a decision, oftentimes all I can hear is the critical self-talk or the condemning voice of others in my head. It's all that head trash. Who do you think you are? If they only knew. You've tried this once, didn't work out. You're damaged goods. Nobody loves you. You're stupid. This won't work out. You're a failure. This is all you'll ever be. And so over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to look at God's word and we're going to invite him into that head trash and let him sort it out and help him uh, or, or allow him to help us discern what is truth, and what is simply a lie. For this purpose, God's word wants to give you the confidence and the direction that you need to make a decision. When you're feeling the pressure and facing the fears, just like all of us, of making the wrong one. And so to get us started today, I want to look at a passage of scripture out of the book of James. If you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and get to James chapter 1. And if you're new to Bible study, uh, one of the most practical books in the Bible is James. Like if you're looking for just some practical, hands-on, real-life application, uh, James is your book. And in chapter 1, verse 1, he takes one verse to introduce uh, himself to to us, to him, as we begin to read this. And then he jumps right into verse 2 with what's on his mind. And he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I think that uh, troubles of of any kind come to us of all kinds every single day. I think it's part of that 35,000 decisions we got to make. And I don't know about you, but um, 
when troubles of any kind come into my life, I'm trying to do everything that I can to, to avoid them, to navigate around them, to, to minimize them. And James actually wants us to see this with a little bit of a different set of lenses. He says, I want you to actually see them as an opportunity for great joy. And at this point, I'm just like, James, like, you know, what kind of meds are you on? Because uh, I don't consider trouble to be an opportunity for joy. I mean, uh, oppor- joy is the absence of trouble in my life. That's why I go on vacation to escape the trouble that is coming my way. But he goes on in verse um, And he says, for for you know that when your faith is tested. By the way, I want to define faith. That's not necessarily a religious thing. Faith is anything that you've put your trust or your confidence in. That can be a person. That can be a thing. That can be your own ability. By the way, it doesn't matter what you believe about God. Every single one of us are living by faith because you can't predict the future. You you don't have 100% on anything. So he says, whatever you put your trust and confidence in, whenever that gets tested, and it will... He says, your endurance has a chance to grow. So he's actually equating this to what I might call like resistance training. So it's like this idea, like anytime like you go in for a workout of some kind, like it's hard, it's painful, you break a sweat, your heart rate gets elevated, your physical body's screaming at you to stop. What are you doing? You're putting it under resistance because you know that when you endure through that, you grow. He said, the same thing is true spiritually. He said, and so a problem-free life isn't necessarily the best life. He goes, whenever your faith gets tested, this is an opportunity for joy because your endurance has a chance to grow. And so he says in verse 4, I love this. He goes, so let it grow. Let, Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got it all together, that you are flawless. It just means that you've finally got your sea legs underneath you. That life isn't cutting you at the knees like it it once did. And then he says in verse 5, If you need wisdom, then ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Wisdom is not the same thing as information. You can get information by reading a book. You can get information by going online. You can get information by looking it up. Wisdom is different. Wisdom is information applied and it does not come quickly. It doesn't, you can't microwave wisdom. It comes through experience. It comes through lots and lots of hurts. You give me a person who's wise and I'll show you their scars. And he says, listen, the one prayer that God loves to hear is whenever you say, God, go back one more slide, please. The one prayer that that, uh, God wants to grant of you is when you ask for wisdom, he will generously give it to you. God says, I want to give you wisdom. Just ask me for it. And then we go on to the next verse in verse 6. He says, but when you ask him, be sure that your your faith, your trust, whatever it is you're putting your confidence in, is in God God alone. And I want to come back to this. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. So for, for some of us today, we hear that verse, we listen to it, and we think, well, Okay, I, I hear you, but I've got a problem with this, because, and for any number of reasons. There might be a number of you that would say, okay, I hear this, like, put my faith in God alone, but Aaron, you don't understand, I don't even know that I believe in God, so how can I put my trust and confidence in Him? Great question. Some of you would be like, well, I'm not necessarily a religious person, so I don't know what that looks like. Good question. Others of you might be a lot like me. There, there's times when you go, well, I think that I put my faith in God, but I still don't know. And I thought that I had this like mountaintop experience with God and I still get 
I'm still unsettled, and I'm still blown and tossed by the wind. Or I come in here on Sunday, and I sing, and I get all this clarity. By the time I, I get to my car in the parking lot, unsettled, blown and tossed again. So, so how do I do this? How do I apply this to, to my life? And I, 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 I thought that I was doing this, and I think many of us think that we'll just be cool as a cucumber, and we'll just say, I got this, and that that's not what that means. See, when you put your faith in God, I want to give you three things of what I think that means today. When you put your faith in God, it means, number one, that you're believing that God can and still work through your poor decisions. That's the first place that we got to begin. And I want you to, this should be freeing for you. Because I think so many of us go through our lives and we're thinking, uh, I got to either choose this or this. And one of them is right and one of them is wrong. And if I get the wrong one, then God's going to punish me. It's kind of like, um, how many of you uh, remember uh, growing up playing that game Operation? I remember going over to my grandparents' house, and my, my grandma had this, like, closet full of board games. And I would go, and I'd pull that out, and we'd play, you know, Life and Sorry and Monopoly. But my favorite one was Operation. And I don't know why, because it pretty much caused, like, a low-grade anxiety, <laughs> followed by a cardiac arrest. And, like, if you aren't familiar with the game, it's, like, the, the board, and then there's, like, this, like, pear-shaped naked dude on it. And uh, he's got, like, all these, like, there's all these, like, places where you can put a little bone or a heart or whatever. you got to operate. And you have these little metal tweezers hooked up to the, that's, like, electronic thing. Sounds super awesome. And you're, like, trying to operate on it, but you got to have a really steady hand because if you're, the tweezers hit the side of the, of the little opening, it would go, Eep! And like his nose would light up and you just felt like the worst, right? Like just a failure. And oftentimes I think that we feel like life is that way. And so it's like, should I date that person? Well, I don't know. <laughs> should I go to that college? I really have no idea. There's like a jillion colleges out there and I'm not sure whether I should declare my degree. And I'm just afraid that I'm going to get three years into this four-year degree and I'm going to realize... <laughs> chose the wrong one, my life is ruined. Or, or should we take that job and relocate on the other side of the country? Like, I really don't know. It seems like a good opportunity, but we'll be leaving our support system and we got to sell the house and I'm not quite sure. And, <laughs> and we go through life like that. And I just want you to know that many times it is not that black and white. That, that there are times when we've got to remember that God can and still work through your failures and through your imperfections. And you just need to let yourself off the hook a little bit. That God can work through maybe whatever decision you end up making. Here's why. God isn't nearly concerned about making your circumstances completely work out just picture, in a picture-perfect way. God's trying to develop your character and your heart. Which, by the way, requires, which requires poor decisions. I don't know about you, I've grown way more through bad decisions than good ones. In those moments when I thought, man, God, like, I'm told, I, I, I've got to lean on you here because I don't know where to go from this point forward. And that's when my character gets developed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is actually bringing us in on maybe some of the issues that he was wrestling with. And he describes those things as a thorn in the flesh. And he says three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. You ever been in that spot? God, just get me out of here. 
And each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best, not when you've got it all figured out, not when you choose the right thing, but in weakness. Paul goes, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Listen, God is at his absolute best when I am not. And he can redeem anything. It's like what he does. In fact, you go through the Bible and God always works through people who made dumb decisions. It's like kind of like a requirement. And it looked like they were maybe blowing their lives up and God said, watch this. And he flexes and he works through their indecision and through their poor decision making and their sin and their mess ups. And so Joseph was arrogant and Noah got drunk and David slept with another man's wife and then had him killed. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses lost his temper. Peter betrayed Jesus when everything was on the line. And so now it comes to you and me. Even if you shouldn't have taken the job, God can still work through that. He'll still redeem it to show you what you should do next. And I bet you he did some stuff to your character in the process. Even if you've gotten into too much debt, it's not too late. It's not the end of your story. God can still work through that. Even if your choices have contributed to maybe a relationship falling apart or your marriage coming to an end, God can still work through that. You are not defined by your failures. Even if you fall back into that addiction, you lost your temper again, you neglected the people in your life that matter the most, God hasn't counted you out yet, you shouldn't either. Your value as a human being is not directly connected to your ability to make right choices 100% of the time. God loves you. And even if you find yourself at rock bottom right now, it's a pretty good place to find some solid ground underneath your feet. It's a good foundation to begin to build again. Here's the second thing. is if you're in a place right now of indecision and you're trying to figure out where God's leading you, if you wait until you feel ready, you'll always be waiting. And I know there's some of you that hate to hear that because you're like a perfectionist and you want like to have all the categories like nice and buttoned up and you want all the information in. But when you're facing a critical decision, it's really easy to get stuck and you start overthinking and overanalyzing and it's perpetual indecision. And the reality is, is that you're probably not gonna get 100% certainty on anything. And if you wait until 100% certainty, you've probably waited too long. And walking by faith is saying, I don't really have all the information, but God, I'm going to take a step and I'm going to trust you. So last week, uh, if you were here, uh, our elders and all of you just very graciously honored our family with uh, just uh, being here 12 years. And it was just a really powerful, amazing moment in our lives. Uh, we gave a fair number of you cardiac arrest because you thought we were leaving. Uh, but... Uh, uh, it was nice to be loved. And one of the things that John Schubot, our chairman of our elders, said uh, to all of you, I don't know if you caught this or not, but he said whenever they initially reached out to see if I would consider coming to Trader's Point, uh, which is a major, one of the biggest decisions of my life, by the way, uh, that I initially told them no. But he didn't necessarily tell you why I told them no. And the, the why behind that was because uh, I didn't feel Ready. And I, I was 31 years old. I'd never been in a church like Trader's Point. I'd never been in this position. I was largely unproven. And, and there was a lot of doubts that flooded into my mind. And so I remember uh, contemplating this decision. And, you know, I didn't want to relocate my family again, especially if this is the wrong move. And I didn't want to get here and 
you know, cause the church to nosedive into the ground. And so I was just, I was afraid. So I, I go to lunch with uh, an older man in my life. He was probably in his late 50s, early 60s. And we sit down for lunch and I bring him in on it. And I said, hey, uh, uh, I've got this decision in front of me that I'm thinking about. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me across the table and he goes, you're not seriously considering that, are you? And I was like, no. Uh, <laughs> Just making conversation. Uh, I was like, well, yeah, that, that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you. Like, I'm looking for some wisdom and some insight. And, and, and I don't know where this guy's heart was at the time. And I want to be gracious with him. But I'll never forget, it, he, he looked back at me and he said, well, I don't get it. He's like, I, I, I don't even know why you would entertain that. He's like, Aaron, he's like, I'm, I'm uh, you know, 25 years older than you. And he said, uh, I feel like I'm in over my head all the time. Uh, there's no way I would even consider that. He goes, you're 31. What in the world makes you think you're ready? And I was like, well, let me finish my mac and cheese and applesauce, and then I'll give you an answer. <laughs> Ordering off the kids' menu. And I remember walking out, like, being really rattled, like, man, maybe he's right. Like, I don't know. And, and so I ended up uh, calling another mentor of mine who had known me for a really long time. And I just said, hey, I just, I just got to ask you. And I was probably at that point, like, uh, 80%, like, I'm going to tell him no. And I don't, I don't think we should do this. And so I called him. I said, hey, you know, I was just wondering, like, you know me better than anybody. And I was like, do you think that I'm, like, not ready for this? And he goes, absolutely, you're not ready. And I was like, geez, what is this, like, beat up on Aaron Day? Like, it's like, could I have a hug? And uh, I will never forget what he said next because it changed the whole trajectory of my life. He said, but, but Aaron, he goes, God's not looking for people who are ready. God's looking for people who are available. And he said, he said, God will make you adequate as you go. And man, that has never been more true. Now listen, that's my story. Maybe not yours. But right now, I bet you there's a decision that you're contemplating right now that you need a ton of courage to have to make the decision. And maybe you've got a few Debbie Downers in your life. What are you thinking? How could you do that? You're not ready. Can I just loan you some courage to say God will make you adequate as you put one foot in front of the other. And I'd love, I would have loved it if God would have spelled it all out for me and said, hey, this is what you're getting ready to enter into. But God gives it to us in pieces. And right now, what, what, are, you, what are you contemplating in your life? What is God prompting you to do right now in your life? But indecision has paralyzed you. Can I just encourage you to take a step? That's all, that's all I'm asking you to do. Just take one little step, stop overanalyzing, and do something. Like, do anything. And if it doesn't work out, that's great. It doesn't mean you chose wrong. It doesn't mean that God isn't in it. But actually, God is most likely at work behind the scenes developing some things within you that would have never taken shape if you hadn't taken the step. So right now today, maybe one of the most spiritual things you can do is go home and make the phone call. Fill out the application. Start the business. Accept the role. Get into a group. Invest in the friendship. Go on a mission trip. Ask her out for crying out loud. She's been waiting. Do something that scares you a little bit. Do something that requires faith. Do something so big that if God wasn't in it, 
it would fail. James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, I love what he says when he talks about giving us advice for overcoming paralysis and taking action toward your goals. He writes this, he says, you are bound to feel uncertain, unprepared, and unqualified. But let me assure you of this, what you have right now is enough. You can plan, delay, and revise all you want, but trust me, what you have now is enough to start. It doesn't matter if you're trying to start a business, lose weight, write a book, or achieve any number of goals. Who you are, what you have, what you know right now is good enough to get going. The last thing that I would just share with you, what it means to put our trust in God alone, is just simply this. When you declare who you are, it brings clarity to what you should do. It's the question of identity. I think oftentimes we're constantly saying, well, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And then my success at what I do informs who I am. And it's the exact opposite. See, out of your identity... Then you begin to make decisions based out of that. So instead of saying, what am I going to do? First start with, well, who am I going to be? And when you get the answer to that question, it brings all kinds of clarity to your everyday decisions. You start weeding out those 35,000 decisions every day because you say, does this support who I am or who I'm becoming or not? And so if it doesn't, I'm not going to do it. If it does, I'm going to take a step. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, I love this passage here because it speaks to our identity and who you can be in Christ. Paul writes these words, he says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And I love that. You don't come sheepishly. You don't come like ashamed of yourself. You don't come feeling guilty. No, because of what Jesus did for you on a cross, he declared your worth, your value, and your love, and your identity. And so now you can walk boldly into the presence of God, and you can have confidence in that. So, so let's just say hypothetically that here uh, today you uh, come over to my house for the Super Bowl. And you just like let yourself right in. You just walk right in the front door and you raid my fridge and you plop down on the couch right next to me and grab the remote and you turn it up. We're going to have a problem. <laughs> like it's not that I don't love you and it's not that you wouldn't be welcome. That's just like sort of like your posture's all wrong, right? Because you're, you're kind of walking in with boldness and confidence that I didn't necessarily give to you just yet. However, my four kids, they don't need to ring the doorbell. And they don't need to say, hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I look in the fridge? And they don't need to say, hey, Dad, is that seat next to you taken? Because I'd like to sit down. They do need to ask me for the remote. That's where the analogy breaks down. They don't have to ask for an, an invitation. They've got it. They don't have to wait for permission. They've got it. Why? Because they have an identity. They're, they're my kids. And so they can come boldly and confidently. In fact, uh, one of the things that I've had to learn as a dad is just not to make every decision for them. I so badly want to. Like when they're faced with a crisis, when they've got uh, a fork in the road, they're trying to decide what to do. I so badly want to just say, well, here's what I think you should do. And as a parent, I've just had to like take a step back and say, well, well what do you think? And you know what? Make a call. Go this way or that way. I got your back either way. And you know what? You'll, you'll grow through both paths. And I think in a, in, a, in a very, very similar sense. God's not just going to swoop down and just, you know, like that magic eight ball, you know, just kind of give you the answer that you want. Sometimes he can work that way. Most of the time he, he wants you to lean on him. 
Most of the time, he's more concerned about the development of your character and your heart. So he, he won't lay all your circumstances out plainly because it's as you go through the difficult times that your endurance begins to grow. But here's the thing you fall back on every single day. Well, I have an identity as one of God's kids. And so I can come boldly and confidently to him. Well, how do you get that? All you do is you respond to it. Jesus went to a cross to declare how much he loved you. And so you just respond to the identity that Jesus has laid out that is available to anyone and everyone, regardless of who you are today. And so for many of you today, I can't think of a better way to start a series on choices and decision-making than to give you an opportunity to make the best decision of your life and claim who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not asking you today what you believe, because many of you believe in God, but that doesn't mean you've claimed your identity in Christ. I'm not asking you how you were raised, because many of you were raised in church, but that doesn't mean you've claimed your identity in Christ. I'm not asking if you're religious, because many of you may be religious, but it doesn't mean you've claimed your identity in Christ. Well, you may say, well, what's the difference? Well, one is you're trying to earn your way to heaven, and Jesus has already done it for you. It's through relationship. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to God's grace that comes through Jesus alone and to boldly declare, I'm a child of God. And man, you get that decision right, and it'll begin to bring clarity to all of your other decisions. So if you've been around here for a while, many of you know my story. Like, I, I grew up in church. I, I, I was baptized at six years old, and I have very hazy, foggy memories of that time. It was 1982. It was a rough year, all right? And uh, I remember, that was a joke, bad one. I, I, I remember, uh, I remember uh, being in my dad's office, and the pastor of our church came to, to meet with me, and we sat down across the table, and I just remember him asking me half a dozen questions. It was just like Sunday school questions, you know, like, um, do you believe in God? Did he create the universe? Is Jesus his son? And I was just like nodding the whole time. And I'm not even saying any of that's bad. I'm just saying it just sort of felt like a, a test rather than the start of a relationship. And I, I guess I answered all the questions right because that Sunday night, I got baptized. And I remember walking out of the church that night, my hair still wet. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I guess I did it. Like, I guess I checked the box. I guess I'm a Christian. And that set me up on a nice, long road of just lukewarm spirituality for most of my adolescence. And I went to church every Sunday, but my heart was rarely stirred. And I was in Bible studies, but it didn't mean that my heart was growing softer towards God and people. It just made me a little bit more judgmental. And I was on the way. I, mean, I was on the way to uh, head into my 20s, uh, hitting burnout like maybe some of you have, and walking away from God altogether. But I will never forget my senior year, my high school um, year, I was 17 years old, scared out of my mind. Didn't want anybody to know it. Tried to play it cool and confident, but it felt like my world got turned upside down. Here's why. Because everybody kept asking me what I was going to do. Like, so you graduate next May. What are you going to do? I was like, I have no idea. I didn't know where to go to college. I didn't know what degree I was going to major in. Felt like all, it felt like all of my plans were beginning to fall apart. Like my girlfriend had just broken up with me. My plans to play Division I high, uh, college basketball fell through. I mean, I know, like looking at me, you'd be like, you were a shoe-in. But others didn't see it that way. And I was like, I have no clue 
and I'm tired of people asking me. And I remember having no answers. I sat down on a park bench one afternoon and I started reading through the book of Romans and I got into chapter five and uh, in chapter five, it says this, it says, uh, no one would give their lives for a good person. For an especially good person, somebody might consider giving up their life. And then what it said next was if it was being said directly to me. But Aaron, when you were still in your rebellion and your pride and your sin and your indecision, Jesus died for you. You are worth it. And I remember like right then and there, dropping to my knees and I said, God, I think I've just been going through the motions up until this point and I don't even know how this goes forward, but today I'm claiming the identity that you died for me to have. It was super scary to tell my friends because they all gave me that weird look like we already thought you were a Christian. Super scary to tell my mom and dad because they were like, do you really think that's necessary? Because I got baptized again like in front of all my friends. So like, you really think that's necessary? I was like, yeah, I think I do. I think it is. Why? Well, because like, I'm afraid to do it. And so I probably need to do it. And I wish I could tell you today that then after that, like the, the sea opened up and all this clarity and I knew where to go to school and, and uh, the girl of my dreams, you know, uh, you know, we started dating the very next day. And, uh, and then, you know, here I am at Trader's Point. Like, it's, like I, I would love to tell you that. Nope. Here's what my story is. It was just one step, one fearful, courageous step after another. Uh, by the way, lots of spiritual sprained ankles. Lots of moments when I fell on my face. Lots of moments when I thought, this is it. I've messed it up too badly. And God began to work. I want to give you the opportunity today. Like maybe some of you are facing all kinds of indecision and you don't know what to decide. I want to ask you to just simply make the one decision that really matters. And that is simply this. Like, who are you? And have you claimed the identity that Jesus died for you to have? And I want to give you that opportunity today across all of our campuses to respond to Jesus and then to publicly be baptized, to be, to be immersed. That's what baptism is. It is a public declaration of your identity in Christ. You're not ashamed of him. And you're going all in. You're going public with it. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So I'm going to pray. And at all of our campuses, I'm going to let the campus pastors take it and provide some instruction. I'll do that here. But let me just pray today. And specifically, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, we, we've backloaded the worship. So we're in no rush to get out of here. And we're going to worship together. And right now, if there's somebody today that wants to claim that identity that Jesus died for you to have, then I just want you to make this prayer your own. Father, I come to you today and I have so many questions and not enough answers. But I put my trust in you. And I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. And I know that what that is, is it's a step. It's a, it's a step of faith. And I'm going to put my trust in you today. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to acknowledge my pride. I'm going to acknowledge my rebellion. And I'm just going to claim the gift that Jesus died for me to have right now, today, where I am. I don't know what else I'm going to do with my life, but I know today I'm going to make that decision with courage and clarity. And so, Father, would you meet me right where I am as I boldly declare that I'm unashamed of the gospel. And I don't want to just be religious. I don't want to just say that I grew up in church. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to be in a relationship with you.
I ask this in, in Jesus' name. Now, just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to just give you an opportunity to, to respond today by being baptized. And for some of you today, your story is not identical to mine, but there's some overlap because many of you, maybe you were baptized as a little kid and you don't remember it, or you were sprinkled because your grandparents or your parents uh, put you into a ceremony in which that happened. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. In fact, I'm saying that's a really good thing. The problem with it is you don't have any memory of it. And a relationship works best when you make the decision for yourself. They laid a foundation for you. Now I'm just asking that you would build upon it. Maybe for some of you today, you've been resisting following God for all kinds of reasons, and I just simply want to ask you to just get to this place of surrender where you would place your trust in Jesus Christ and invite him in. And baptism, all it is, is an outward expression of an internal decision that you make. And you're being lowered into the waters of baptism, that's why we immerse, and you're being resurrected as a new creation in Christ. And God will meet you in that moment. And so I, I'm trusting that many of you will claim your new identity in Christ by going public in baptism today. And so if that's you, and if you prayed that prayer, and you're like, man, God's working me over right now, then I want to encourage you to respond. And we're going to stand to our feet and sing here in just a moment. And you can go right out these double doors where the exit sign is. There'll be people out there to meet you, pray with you, talk with you. We got everything you need, change of clothes for you to be baptized. I'm going to jump back in the tank, and I would love to meet you, and I would be honored to baptize you today. And so if you're ready to make that decision, could we just uh, put our hands together and just celebrate the people that have made that decision and give them the courage, give them the courage to get up out of their seats and to take a step as they go all in. So would you stand to your feet and we're gonna celebrate and sing together.